This is Data Podcast. In the ever-changing world of data, this is the podcast packed full of information to keep you right on top of all the developments. From AWS and Azure, through to data science, big data, AI and NoSQL, and everything in between, we cover the essential updates from both a technical and non-technical perspective, including special guests and in-depth interviews. Now, please welcome your hosts, Rajiv Baha and Shabnam Khan, with today's episode of Data Podcast. Joe Zak is a Principal Program Manager in the Azure SQL Database and SQL Server Product Team at Microsoft with a focus on the Query Processor. Joe is an author and speaker with over 20 years of experience in the industry, specializing in performance tuning, high availability, and disaster recovery. I'm your host, Shabnam, and Rajiv is co-hosting with me today. Welcome to our show, Joe. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Awesome. Rajiv, you have the floor. Thank you, Shabnam. I'm very excited to talk to you, Joe, and especially uh, what you have accomplished with your team. Your team uh, is is behind creating Adaptive Query Processing, or QP. It is new in SQL Server 2017 and SQL Azure platform. As we know, SQL Server uses query plan internally to run SQL statements. Sometimes the plan chosen by the query optimizer is not optimal for reasons such as incorrect cardinal estimate and various other issues or reasons that are possible. What are some other pain points Adaptive QP is meant to cure? Yeah, so so first of all, thank you for having me here and it's good to talk to you both. And yes, yeah, so, so the team that I work on is the query processing team and uh, I work with the engineers that uh, wrote these features and put a lot of hard work into them. And um, in terms of pain points, so I, I think you... Uh, described it well with, um, you know, we're trying to address um, specific uh, plan quality related issues, uh, often driven by poor cardinality estimates. So the anticipated rows that we think are going to flow through the tree during optimization uh, really drive what choices we make in a query execution plan. So uh, what order of operations we perform, uh, what physical algorithms we select, um, so ultimately, uh, the, the first wave of adaptive QP features are related to addressing scenarios where we get the cardinality estimates uh, wrong. Uh, now, uh, why do customers care about it or, or what kind of improvements can we see from AQP? Um, essentially, if we have better cardinality estimates or if we adjust the assumptions of the estimates, uh, then that can lead to better plan quality. And if I have a better plan, that just means ultimately better query performance. So if I have a query that's performing better, then ideally we're using less CPU, memory, I.O. efficiency. Um, It means you don't have to code around specific issues. Uh, In one example, we can talk about um, with interleaved execution, you uh, have issues um, before this feature was introduced with multi-statement table-valued functions. Mm-hmm. Um, and those functions, you know, you'd have a performance issue and, and developers would either have to just be okay with the issue or they would have to write around it. Um, in terms of other areas that this would improve, uh, concurrency is another one. So if I have a poor estimate and I'm asking for too much memory, uh, my query might run quickly, but yours might not because I'm gating you. And then also just simple things like if I'm not asking for enough, I could spill to disk instead of doing everything in memory. I, I'm, I'm running orders of magnitude more slowly because of that underestimate. Uh, but everything comes from that root of, hey, um, we made a poor assumption. That poor assumption led to poor 
plant quality, and the plant quality effective performance. Awesome. So uh, AQP strength lies behind batch mode memory grant feedback, batch mode adaptive joints, and interleaved execution. How do they work internally? Yeah, so so uh, you mentioned all three features that are surfaced under uh, the AQP banner for 2017 and are also lit up in Azure SQL database. And um, for interleaved execution, let's start with that one since I mentioned uh, functions. Um, the way that works internally, um, if I am referencing functions in a select statement, um, and specifically multi-statement table-valued functions, the legacy behavior was we treated it as a black box. We made a guess about the row count. Uh, most recent versions, we make a guess of 100. Uh, if you have a million rows, uh, performance can suffer because we're making that lower row assumption. So internally for interleaved execution, what happens is we can now go in and out of optimization and execution, uh, which is something we haven't been able to do before. So we could say, you know what, um, let's optimize up into the point of the function reference. Let's execute the function. Let's pull out the proper cardinality estimate, and then let's optimize downstream. So let's move in and out so that we have higher quality uh, estimates, which aren't even really estimates at this point because we're pulling actual row counts. And then because of that improved downstream uh, information, we, we get a better plan and better performance. Um, so that's interleaved execution. Uh, memory grant feedback, and specifically, we're, we're doing it for batch mode for this version. Um, what we do is we learn from uh, an execution if it spills to disk. So let's say I spill to disk because I didn't ask for a, a big enough grant. Um, we will know that that happened, and we will update a memory object that will basically say, look, on the second execution, if we execute this again, let's use more memory, plus a little bit of a buffer. So uh, that feedback is we're learning from past executions so that consecutive executions can benefit. And then conversely, if I'm wasting memory, let's say uh, I'm asking for a gig and I'm using 20 meg, um, we can see that we're wasting too much memory. And then the next execution can learn from that and use less memory. Uh, and then the third feature is adaptive joins. And you're, you're noticing like with interleaved execution and memory grant feedback, we're, we're dealing with different solutions at different scopes. So each of these are uh, paving new ways for solutions that we can apply in other problem spaces in the future. Um, but for adaptive joins, we've essentially created this new uh, operator that says, you know what, if a particular join in batch mode can qualify for both a hash join operation or a nested loop with an uh, index seek on the inside operation. What we can do is look at this intersection of costing and say, what is the tipping point where one join algorithm would be more efficient than the other? And then if we hit that tipping point, we'll go ahead and use, uh, for example, a hash join. Uh, if we don't hit the tipping point or exceed it, we'll use a nested loop join. And it's one cache plan and within that cache plan, you have an operator that can be versatile and, and essentially deal with runtime conditions. So even if we have a misestimate originally, we can recover from that misestimate by making the right choice at execution time. Nice. Now, all of these are built into the SQL Server engine. Yeah. I'm curious, uh, what are the steps to enabling QP and uh, what kind of best practices do you recommend? And at the, at the same token, can you also tell us additional enhancements that are in the pipeline? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our, our goal is wherever possible, we want things just to work. Um, so we, we want to uh, 
really simplify the process of getting performance benefits. And so for the this batch of changes I just uh, described, those are all under compatibility level 140. Um, and that actually leads to another thing, which is um, we put these plan changing uh, uh, improvements under compatibility levels because we don't want people to regress um, and uh, we want people to choose when they actually bump that up so that we're not just pushing them to the latest version. And then uh, with any kind of area where you change in the, Q the QP space, um, they, it can be prone to plan regressions. Uh, that's just the nature of uh, the space that you'll have things that improve, but sometimes you, ha you can have things that don't improve. Um, and so to, to actually enable AQP, you just turn to uh, compatibility level 140, and then your workloads are eligible for the, the feature set. Um, and, and you'll see that that's going to be the theme with other QP-related features as well. Um, to the second part of your question, so in terms of what's next. So um, we shipped a few features in 2017, um, and other teams that uh, we're working with, uh, for example, uh, shipped automatic tuning. So there's there's other scopes of which uh, you also have uh, a plan-related improvements. Um, for uh, the past summit last week, we announced uh, early just discussion of features that we have a higher confidence will probably ship in the next version of SQL Server. And then, of course, they'll surface in Azure SQL Database as well. And a few of them I can share today. And by the way, if, if, uh, if anybody listening is interested in um, specific scenarios, so let's say you happen to have a scenario where this would be helpful and you're willing to test, um, people are always willing to, uh, or always uh, uh, absolutely able to reach out to me at joe.sac at microsoft.com um, if you have workloads or questions about this. But uh, so a few of the things we're adding. Uh, one thing is uh, we'll be adding row mode memory grant feedback. So I mentioned earlier, we have batch mode memory grant feedback. Um, batch mode is associated at least since 2012 with column store indexing. Uh, it can be very optimal. It, it can work with sets of rows instead of one row at a time. Uh, and there's optimizations from a, a processor cache perspective as well. Um, so um, a few changes, uh, row mode memory grant feedback. Uh, and then another one is table variable deferred compilation. And what does that mean? Um, similar to interleaved execution uh, for, for multi-statement table-valued functions, um, we make uh, black box assumptions about specific constructs in SQL Server. And if you've ever worked with table variables, you'll know that they have a fixed cardinality estimate. Um, so similar to functions, we make a guess. And if we're close to that guess, great. But if we're millions of rows away from it, problems can happen. Um, so we're looking to correct the cardinality estimate issue with table variables, um, just using a deferred compilation where we change the position of when we actually grab that estimate. Um, we wait until after the actual table variable is populated. Um, so Romo memory grant feedback, table variable deferred compilation. Uh, another interesting one is approximate distinct count. Um, so this is going to be for a scenario where um, you have a massive data set and you have a dashboard type application where you need to get a reasonable enough approximation or you need to, to get, let's say you need to do a distinct count of a specific widget. Um, and you don't need the exact count, but you need close enough with, you know, within a certain range of error. Um, this is a new approximate distinct count operation that will allow you to do that operation very quickly compared to um, having to scan every row on the table. Uh, and um, 
it, we're ideally going to expand that out to other areas, but we're starting off with distinct count. Uh, and then two more, uh, scalar UDF inlining. So um, before I mentioned multi-statement table valued functions, um, there's also scalar UDF functions, which are used in, uh, they're used quite a bit, but they can uh, be associated with performance issues because again, we treat them as a black box. Um, uh, the scalar UDFs can inhibit parallelism. Um, they can be associated by, uh, you know, row by agonizing row kind of scenarios, you know, for each row execute uh, XYZ expensive operation. Um, so we're introducing a scalar UDF inlining uh, improvement where we say, you know what, let's actually make this um, visible to the optimizer. Let's um, enable the ability to use parallelism. Um, let's bring this in so that we can run the logic that you're calling in an optimal fashion. Uh, and then the last one is um, batch mode for row store. And this basically uh, decouples the requirement of having uh, batch mode execution, uh, which is you know historically uh, bound to column store indexes. This removes the need for those two to be coupled and basically says, look, um, if a workload uh, meets a certain set of heuristics where it looks like it would benefit from batch mode, let's open that up in the search space during optimization. So let's allow batch mode operations with regular row store tables. Um, so those are, those are the, the five features that we feel uh, pretty confident uh, will ship in the next version. Um, things can always change, of course. So there could be additional things that come in. There could be things that we hold off uh, for a bit. Um, with the uh, increased cadence or uh, the shipping more frequently, um, at least we know that if there's something we have to hold back, it's not going to be for three to five years. It'll be, you know, for VNext, which is, you know, could be a, a much smaller chunk after uh, we have to hold it back. But these are the ones that we're getting pretty excited about. And again, if if there are uh, f uh, folks out there that have workloads that would benefit, um, we're always interested in early testers. I have a follow-up question regarding interleaved execution. You had a presentation where you showed in the execution plan, you can see like a threshold rows that determines how long or how many rows it will process in the inefficient, uh, let's say, nested loop join until it yeah. decides to switch to hash join. Would mm -hmm. you mind enlightening us like exactly how that works? And um, what are the algorithms and uh, internal details can you share us about that? Sure, sure, absolutely. So for adaptive joins, what we'll do for a particular query is um, we will optimize um, the query, we'll generate a plan, and then based on that plan, um, we'll walk back the tree uh, given a certain set of circumstances uh, to see if alternative um, uh, join algorithms would be possible. And then if so, then we can replace that original operation with an adaptive join. Um, so in terms of um, candidates, uh, first of all, batch mode needs to be somewhere within the context of that query. Uh, it doesn't mean necessarily that at the leaf level we're using column store indexes, but but the join has to be batch mode enabled. Um, and then um, the other thing is you, you, you mentioned this threshold. So what we'll do is essentially we look at uh, the cost lines for a nested loop operation versus a hash join operation. And if you think of like a chart in your mind's eye of um, we have like um, cost on the y-axis and number of rows on the x-axis. Um, from a, a, a costing perspective, uh, if you have just a few rows, nested loops are, are generally a better decision. 
to go with uh, are, are usually less expensive. They have less startup costs. I'm not having to do a, a grant uh, for a build phase. Um, and then as you go up the, by the number of rows, if you imagine another line that's just showing, hey, the more expensive hash join operation, at a certain intersection point, it becomes uh, more efficient to use a hash join operation. And so that, that decision is made during the actual uh, adaptive join walkback scenario. So we say, hey, you know what, um, for example, 1,200 rows or more, uh, we should use a hash join operation. We, we think it'll be cheaper than a nested loop operation. And then if indeed uh, that number of rows flows through the actual plan and the actual operator at runtime, we can make that decision to, to switch over to a full hash join. Um, if we don't exceed it, we stick with a nested loop operation. Anything else about QP? We have a lot of different things that um, we would like to work on over the next couple of years. Um, so uh, some of the things I previewed with you, um, uh, we're excited to, to be working on as we speak right now. Um, I'm always uh, uh, eager to hear feedback. Um, we do pay attention to connect um, and um, connect.microsoft.com. Um, but also feel free to reach out to me. Uh, for example, on Twitter, uh, I have uh, the JoeSack MSFT handle, uh, and then also email. So Joe.Sack at Microsoft.com. Always happy to to uh, help out, answer questions, and uh, uh, of course, hear feedback. For those of us who are interested, how do we become, let's say, a test guinea pig on this technology? How can we share feedback with you? And can you tell us more details on evaluating this technology? Yeah, absolutely. So so here's the general way that things are, are going to work moving forward and 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 you've seen a similar thing over the last few years remember the old tap technology adoption program um where we if we had like a three-year product cycle um that would give us a really a, a lot of time to get our queue of customers who want to test start working with the customers maybe work over a year or two getting them into production with a pre uh, uh rtm build um and so we had this much longer ramp time now you're seeing this faster cadence. And so if, if it looks a little bit more informal, it's because it is. We're, we're really just kind of um, working with uh, a much more minimum viable product kind of scenarios. So that's my long way of describing the following. Um, what I do is I start um, communicating some of the things like I did just now, uh, like about scalar UDF inlining. We announced it uh, at PASS. Um, just very minimum details saying, hey, if these are scenarios that you're interested in. And then uh, a few people might hang, uh, actually reach out, like a few customers might say, hey, I have this scenario. And then what I do is I keep track of who they are. And then as we get closer to builds, and typically we'll start off with private builds, I will let the customer know, or the person who expressed interest in the scenario, I'll let them know, reach out and go, hey, okay, we actually have a private build that we can share with you. Um, oftentimes, if we're sharing a build, we'll we'll get that person under NDA disclosure. So we'll get them signed up, get an NDA set up, um, make sure that the scenario they're testing really is applicable so that we don't waste their time. And then um, we just interact. So in some cases for like 2017, we had a few different customers there. You know, we gave them early builds. They tested it out. They shared feedback. It was iterative and it was uh, something that was very valuable uh, for early testing. Now, um, if that's too much overhead or that's not a scenario where, hey, I, I can't really help out. I can't sign an NDA or, or I'm not sure whether this is something I can invest in right now. Um, we're also going to have the CTPs. So when the next uh, version starts 
getting announced and you know we just finished with 2017 but when we start getting to v next just like before we're going to have these community technical previews and with those as some of these features start surfacing we'll blog we'll put it in the release notes and so then you can more informally test things out um, now uh, from a PM perspective, I love to have direct contact with the customer. So if you know that you're going to be testing out something that's new in vNext, I would love to still hear from you. And then similarly, a lot of these features start trickling into Azure SQL DB as well. Um, so you don't necessarily even have to wait for a CTP. There are some of these features that when they start surfacing in Azure SQL Database, we can let you know. Uh, and again, uh, the idea is just to get early feedback get it into the product cycle as soon as possible, test, iterate, uh, and then just communicate back results to the folks that have been willing to test. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for you know making the time to speak to our show. And we really appreciate all your information. It was really invigorating for us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you, Joe. You have a wonderful stay in Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Data Podcast. You're welcome to follow our hosts on Twitter at Rajib2k5, at Shabnam Khan2017, and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Rajib2k5. Our episodes are also available via iTunes, SoundCloud, Google, and other podcasting platforms. Thank you for tuning in.